Proverbs 15. And uh, before we get started, I uh, wanted to wish a happy birthday to Kayla Perry. She has a milestone birthday today. She is now officially a teenager. So there you go. All righty, Proverbs 15. Also speaking of birthdays, too, is Renee in here? Tweets, are you in here? Did you properly embarrass Robin during announcements? He was nice. He was embarrassed. Okay. Robin has a milestone birthday today, too. She is 50. Are you really 50? I just picked an age. You're not 50, are you? No. Robin is 60. So... Proverbs 15, which is a nice segue into verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Continuing our study here through the book of Proverbs. So, now we have mentioned numerous times throughout our studies in Proverbs how the subject of the tongue and of words come up and a mature believer can watch what they say. Now here's the thing. I can't control what you say. I can't control what you do, and I can't control how you react to things. But I can control my response. That's what you have to focus on. This is what this verse is talking about. So often we get worked up on how other people respond, what they say, and what they do. Just accept right from the beginning, you can't control what other people say or do. You can't. The only thing that you are responsible for are your own actions. And as a believer, and as hopefully a mature believer in the Lord, you want to do verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now, we've all been in this position before, haven't we? You're having a conversation. I use that word lightly. It starts getting louder. It starts getting stronger. But then a harsh word makes it go worse and worse. But yet, a kind, soft answer turns away wrath. I've been on both sides of this. I've been on the side of being... For lack of a better word, I guess, yelled at, and you respond softly and in love, and it just automatically starts calming the other person down. And I've also been on the side, too, where I was the one getting worked up, and then that person is using the soft answer, and it starts calming things down. You know how hard it is to fight with somebody who doesn't want to fight. It's very difficult to do that. And that soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So often people will come in and say something about, well, I was talking to this person, and the next thing you know, it got out of hand. But why did it get out of hand? Well, he said something, and then I said something, and then it's like, ah, right there. Harsh words stirs up anger. Mature believers, we watch what we say. If you're taking notes, write this down. James 1, 19 to 20. Be swift to listen, slow to speak, slow to wrath. says that the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Swift to listen, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Watch what you say. Listen more than you talk. And even goes one step further. In James 3, it talks about how that wisdom of man is not of God and that the wisdom of God is peaceable, pure, gentle, willing to yield. When somebody comes and they're angry and ticked and upset, they're not walking in the wisdom and will of God. They're walking in the flesh. And the flesh is going to get you upset. There's no way around that. But when you're walking in the will and wisdom of God, there'll be peace, there'll be gentleness, willing to yield. Now, the problem is with this passage, sometimes people take this and say, does this mean I'm not allowed to get angry? That's not what this passage is saying. We live in a world where you're going to get upset. You're going to get upset with people at work. You're going to get upset with things on the news. You're going to get upset with your spouse, with your kids. But it's how you react to that 
that shows whether you're walking with the Lord or not walking with the Lord. If you're walking with the Lord in wisdom, you're going to give a soft answer to turn away wrath. If you're walking in the world, you're going to have a harsh word stir up anger. You're going to get angry. But the point is, as believers, we don't want that anger to control you. When you allow that anger to control you, you're no longer walking in the will of God. You're walking in your own flesh. So, with this being said, this continues right on in verse 2. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pour forth foolishness. So, the tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly. So, as believers, how are we supposed to use the words coming out of our mouth? Those words will either tear up, excuse me, tear down relationships or build up relationships. We'll do one of the two. Think back to your own life. Think back to situations at work. Think back to your marriage. Think back to raising your kids. Think back just to personal relationships. Do the words you use build up that relationship or do the words you use tear down that relationship? It's only going to do one or the other. The way a, a wise person should handle this is verse 7. The lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the fool does not do so. So you want to disperse knowledge. Now note this does not say in verse 7, disperse your opinion. We don't care what your opinion is. We want knowledge. See, the problem is we think everybody's entitled to our opinion. Our opinion may not be based in the knowledge of God. I have lots of opinions. Some of those opinions may not line up with what the Lord wants at that time. So I want to disperse knowledge. And where does knowledge come from? The knowledge comes from your walk and relationship with the Lord. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. So you disperse knowledge, which is God's truth, to build up relationships. The next thing you do, verse 4, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. That tree of life, that it gives you that vision of this big, tall tree rooted down in the ground with the leaves and green and life. We talked about a few weeks ago how we're supposed to be rooted in the Lord. Your words coming out of your mouth are supposed to be rooted in the Lord that's like a tree of life, helping people go deeper in their walks with the Lord. And look at the last one here, verse 28. The heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. The heart of the righteous studies how to answer. Part of being a wise, mature believer is you take time to study God's Word to know how to answer things. Because as soon as you make the claim that you're a Christian, you're going to run into situations and you're going to run into questions. We want you to be in God's Word on a regular basis, not only for your own personal growth and edification, but you're going to run into people that have questions about God's Word, and we want you to be able to answer them. That's why we have small group studies. That's why we have discipleship classes. That's why we have all these things. Is so you have the opportunity to study how to answer, to give those questions when they pop up, because you know what's going to happen. And sometimes it happens in places you don't realize. It happens in places you don't expect, but it's going to happen. I remember back when I was in college, I had a uh, professor, and I, I really liked her a lot. She was a very nice woman, but um, she was not saved, and she made it abundantly clear that she was not a Christian. And she took every opportunity she could in class to either mock Christianity or come up with these questions that you know were deemed unanswerable. Um, she had a very left-leaning, uh, liberal mindset. Um, she talked numerous times about uh, she came from Harvard. She was Harvard-educated, so she was a very intelligent woman, according to the world. But she didn't have any intelligence when it came to the Lord. And so when subjects came up in class that she would try to find a question that could, I guess, for lack of a better word, mock Christianity, she would always try to do it. And so the one time we were talking about, um, as she would put it, the afterlife, heaven, and talking about marriage. About, okay, well, what happens when you're down here on earth? You know, you're married, and so your spouse dies, so you get married again. Well, your spouse dies, you get married again. So she was making this long joke about how when you get up to heaven, you're going to have all these wives or have all these husbands. And, you know, she goes, what are we supposed to do about that? 
And you know what? Jesus already answered that question 2,000 years ago, didn't he? See? And the righteous, the heart of the righteous studies how to answer. Now, I'm not patting myself on the back, but I studied how to answer. I knew that passage. I knew that scripture. So when that question came up, instead of it being a mocking of Christianity, you got a chance to raise your hand and say, hey, that question's already been answered. This is what Jesus says is going to happen. And that's the whole point. There are times when I study God's word, it's like, Lord, okay, I'm not getting anything out of this. What is the point and purpose of this? And then you go on later in the day, someone calls, and it's like, that verse that I read this morning that I thought I, quote, got nothing out of, I'm ready to use in spiritual warfare later on in the day. So the heart of the righteous studies how to answer. So we, as a mature believer, we watch our words. Soft answer turns away wrath. Harsh words stirs up anger. I use my words rightly to disperse godly knowledge, to be a tree of life, to know how to answer in the right time. And you know what? It is worth it. Because when you have it all come together and you are watching your words, you know what happens? Look at verse 6. In the house of the righteous... There is much treasure, but in the revenue of the wicked is trouble. When it all clicks, oh, the house is righteous. There's peace in the home. And you know, the problem with peace in the home is, peace in the home relies on you, but also other people. You may be trying to bring peace into the home, and other people may be trying to destroy peace in the home. But it goes back to the point we said at the beginning. I can't control what you say. I can't control what you do. I can't control how you react. I only can control my response. And my response is, I want to bring peace into this household. Verse 6, in the house of the righteous there is much treasure. That treasure of peace. What a blessing it is. Richard Betts was the first one to teach me this back way years ago in discipleship. Of Often the Bible talks about blessings. And so often we think of blessings and material blessings. And he said sometimes that blessing is just peace in the home. And what a blessing that is. If anybody has come out of a household where there is no peace, you know the blessing of peace in the home. If anybody's in a household right now where there is no peace, you're dying for peace in the home. What a blessing that is. And the Bible uses another word to describe this. Look at verse 19. The way of the lazy man is like a hedge of thorns, but the way of the upright is a highway. A highway. Isn't it nice when the highway works? Don and I went down to this pastor's conference in Indiana here earlier this week, and we took 24 to Indiana. First time we've taken 24 in months. You know how nice 24 is now? Four lanes, and it's safe, it's nice. The way of the highway, that's the idea. It's supposed to be nice and easy to travel. The way of the upright is a highway. When I do the things I'm supposed to do, my life is like that highway that is smooth sailing. Now note, I'm not saying that there's not accidents along the highway. I'm not saying there's not potholes, and I'm not saying there's road, not road construction. Life throws a lot of things at you. But the point is, you're on the highway of life. You're not off the road trying to do it on your own. Because that's a bumpy, tough road. But you're on the highway where God wants you to be. And the other side of this is verse 27. He who is greedy for gain troubles his own house. It goes back to what we talked about a couple weeks ago. In verse 1 of chapter 14, the wise woman builds up her house, the foolish woman tears it down. Very simply put, look at the household you're living in. And if you're living by yourself, look at the household that you're around in the sense of work, relationships, etc. Are you building up that house? Are you bringing forth righteousness, verse 6? Or are you doing, uh, verse 27, are you troubling your own house? How foolish is it to bring trouble into your own house? Why do we do that? But that's what we do. We bring it in. Look at verse 9. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who follows righteousness. See, I don't want to bring trouble to my house. 
I want to follow righteousness, verse 9. And what is righteousness? Righteousness is a picture of Jesus Christ. We talked about that a few weeks ago, that Christ became righteousness for us. So when it talks about being righteous, it means being Christ-like. When it talks about following righteousness, that means you're following the right plan of God. When you follow that, when you desire that, you know what happens? You go deeper in the Lord. Verse 14, the heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. You can tell a lot by the group of people that you hang out with. When you see people that has the heart of the Lord, they're seeking knowledge. They're seeking to go deeper in the Lord. But you see the other group hanging around with other fools. You know what they feed on? Foolishness. That's exactly what happens. Lord, help us to go deeper. And here's the funny thing. As we use that phrase a lot, as you go deeper in the Lord, actually what you're doing is moving up. Look at verse 24. The way of the life, when, excuse me, the way of life winds upward for the wise that he may turn away from hell below. Isn't that interesting? You go deeper in the Lord, and the way you go deeper in the Lord is you actually go upward, verse 24. Because I go deeper in the Lord, I become, if you dare I say, more heavenly. There's a great verse in the New Testament. It talks about uh, keep your mind on heavenly things. See, when you got your mindset on the Lord, you have that eternal, heavenly perspective, and your wisdom is going upwards towards God. You're not focusing on what's going on down here on earth. You're focusing on what's going on up in heaven. And what's going on up in heaven? The will of God. Because that's what matters more than anything. And when you seek the will of God, as you go deeper in Him, you have a better understanding of what the heavenly perspective is. What's the heavenly perspective? Heavenly perspective, verse 24, is wisdom. Well, what does wisdom do? Well, with some of these points we've covered before, so we'll move through them quickly. Verse 22, without counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Wisdom seeks Counsel. How many times have we said that? Wisdom seeks counsel. One of the most dangerous places you can be as a Christian is that island Christian all by yourself. No fellowship, no encouragement, no seeking of other godly things. That's a dangerous place to be. And a couple of weeks ago we brought up this verse, and I, and I can't remember it off the top of my head, but one of the kings of Israel talked about that he thought unto himself in his heart. And then for the next couple of verses he basically has a conversation with himself. Here's the problem. When I have a conversation with myself... I come out thinking I'm pretty good and pretty smart. And it's because I'm only listening to my own opinion. And that's what scares me. It scares me when I hear people say, well, I went home and I, and I really thought about it. Okay, well, did you pray about it? Because if you think about it, that's not good. If you didn't seek any wisdom, that's not good. Because when you think about it yourself, you're really only relying on your own wisdom and opinion. That's really not a smart place to be. But be careful. Verse 22, in the multitude of counselors, they are established... Be careful who your counselors are. You know, so often I hear people say, well, I talk to so-and-so at work, or I talk to my sister, I talk to my brother. Are they born again and saved? Well, no, but then don't get their wisdom. You want godly wisdom. See, here's the thing. I have a group of people out here at church that I know, I trust, and I respect, and I seek them on big issues and saying, okay, what do you think about this? Their opinion is not what I'm looking for in the sense of, okay, I'm going to take a vote. But I trust that they're going to pray over it, seek the Lord over it, and when they give me an answer, it's going to be something that they've sought the Lord over. That's the type of wisdom and counsel I'm looking for. I'm not just looking for an opinion. Everybody has an opinion. And a lot of people's opinions are not knowledgeable and, and dare I say, built on the foundation of the Lord. What you see here is you want wisdom of the Lord in people. So that's the first thing. Wisdom seeks counsel. The next thing. This is the tough one. Wisdom accepts correction when we're wrong. Look at verse 5. A fool despises his father's instructions, but he who receives correction 
is prudent. Let's build on this for a little bit. Uh, verse 10. Harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way, and he who hates correction will die. Harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way. Very simply put, you don't want to be disciplined in life? Then don't do anything wrong. I mean, how simple is that? You don't want to have problems with the cops? Follow the rules. We tell our kids at home all the time, you don't want to get in trouble? Really simple. Just do what we say. Because when you forsake the way, verse 10, the result is harsh discipline. Some of us get off the path of what God wants in our life, and we wonder, why is my life becoming so difficult? Because harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way. You get off with the path of what God wants in your life, what do you think is going to happen? God in his infinite love and mercy is going to discipline you to bring you back to where you need to be. If you don't want that discipline, stay on the path. Verse 31, the ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. And verse 32, he who disdains instruction despises his own soul, but he who heeds rebuke gets understanding. See, if you reject instruction, you're basically saying, I don't even care about my own life. You disdain your own soul, the Bible says. You don't care. It's tough. Because one of the things that we do out here most at church is, I hate to say this, is, is correcting. As, as you see the wayward sheep getting off path. And so you try to get a hold of them in love and say, hey, we're concerned about you. Hey, we haven't seen you in a while. Or, you know what, I, I think you're moving backwards instead of forwards. Now, wisdom is hopefully that you'll sit there and say, okay, this person cares enough about me to point me in the right direction. That's the, the response of wisdom. But the real response sometimes is, we don't like being told what we're doing is wrong. So what do we do? We don't listen. And I never knew how to figure this out. I, I never had a verse, but I, I just knew it was true. Because what would happen is I would try to get a hold of people. They didn't want to talk to me. You know, Rich and I talk about there's this automatic conviction thing when you talk to the pastor, and I don't know why that is. Just that They just don't want to talk. They know why we're calling. They know what's going on, so they don't want to respond. They don't want to talk. And you know what? I've been in that place before where someone's trying to get a hold of me. You know, spiritually something's wrong. It's like, I just don't want to deal with it, so I'm just not going to, I'm not going to talk. And that's not wisdom. And so it was a frustration of, hey, you care about this person, you care about this situation, but yet you're constantly being rebuffed and you're constantly being ignored. It's like, Lord, we care. Why does this happen? Well, it happens because of verse 12. A scoffer does not love one who corrects him, nor will he go to the wise. See, if you know you're wrong, you don't want to talk to somebody who knows that you're wrong because you don't want to hear it, nor will he go to the wise. So I take this as a backhanded compliment. Anytime someone doesn't talk, want to talk to me, they're saying that I'm wise. I like that. You know, I don't want to talk to James. Why not? Because I know what he's going to say. Ah, because I'm wise. I like that. So just remember that on both sides. I've been on the side of I don't want to talk to them. Why? Because I know they're right. I know what they're going to say. I don't want to deal with it. So really, I'm being a fool by ignoring correction. And I've also been on the other side of trying to get a hold of somebody saying, hey, we love you, we care, and, and this situation is going to hurt you. But they don't want to talk. Here's the thing, you can't take it personally. It goes back to point one. You can't control what somebody else says, what they do, or how they react. And I, somebody will come up, oh, I've been trying to get a hold of them, I've been trying to talk to them, and, 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 and it just doesn't work. You know why? Because in verse 12, a scoffer does not love one who corrects him, nor will he go to the wise. This happens a lot. Somebody will say, hey, can you try to get a hold of this person? Yeah, I'll try. But if they don't want to talk, they're not going to respond. They have to, in wisdom, want to accept the fact that maybe something's not right in their spiritual walk with the Lord. 
Sometimes they want to, sometimes they don't. So wisdom, you seek it in, in the multitude of counselors, godly counselors. Wisdom accepts correction. Wisdom knows God is always watching. Verse 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Now that verse either comforts you or totally scares you. That God knows every thought, word, and action you do. That either encourages you or scares you. Because verse 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. It's been a rough time recently here at the Irvin household. we got numerous uh, kids sick. Uh, Layden's got an ear infection. Kenan's got the croup. And Judah's got an ear infection. So uh, three out of the four are down. I'm hoping Elias gets sick so I can have a complete set. So, but the point is, it, it's been rough. And so, you know, Layden, uh, his, his crib is still in our uh, bedroom because we're trying to find a place to put him. Uh, Kenan slept in our room the other night because of the croup. And so we had Layden in our room, Kenan in our room sleeping on the floor, and then Judah was battling this ear infection. And, and Judah, when, when he gets sick, he's just a funky little kid, and so about 1.30, he just kept coming in about every 5, 10 minutes and saying, you know, Daddy, I'm having bad dreams. I'm having bad dreams. He just kind of kept coming in. And so you'd go put him down. You'd pray with him. And you would be there and everything. And about 5, 10 minutes later, he'd be right back in. It was just enough time that you'd fall asleep. You know what I mean? And he'd be right back in. Well, he did that two nights ago. He did that last night. Now, that's tough from my perspective. But you know what? Isn't it interesting? The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Why does Judah come in? Because he knows mom and dad are there. He knows that. He knows right where we're at. He knows right where to get us. And when he has a problem, he can come right to us. To him, that's a comforting thought. Now, when Judah's not doing something good, he likes to hide. We know any time one of the boys goes and hides behind the couch, the only thing we have to say is, what are you doing? Just come out. Because there's no reason to be behind the couch unless you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. See, if you're right with the Lord, you sit there today and you say, Oh, the eyes of the Lord are in every place. Lord, thank you for caring. If you're not where you're supposed to be with the Lord, right now you're scared. Because God knows. So that's the thing. If I come up to you and I say, Hey, I saw you do that thing the other day. Now, right now you're thinking, What's that other thing? You know, is it the good thing or is it the bad thing? You know, we had somebody come up to us one time and said, I saw you dawn at Walmart. My first thought was, were we fighting? I hope you weren't fighting, you know. I mean, what, what were we doing when you saw us at Walmart? Because you never know what's going on. Look at verse 11. Hell and destruction are before the Lord. So how much more the hearts of the sons of men? Do you really think that God doesn't know what's going on in your heart? I mean, do you really think that he doesn't know that you're putting on a fake front? See, so often I hear people in prayer go to the Lord, and Lord, I really am thankful for what you're doing in my life. And really in their heart, they're bitter. Do you think God's fooled by that? Or Lord, you know what, I pray you would just really be with that person and just help them. And really like knowing your heart, you're really angry and ticked and bitter. One of the greatest things we can do is be honest in our prayers because God already knows what's going on in our heart. We try to fool ourselves. How many times do we say this? I'm okay, I, I'm just not going to let it bother me. God says, no, I, I know you. That one's going to bother you. You need to give that one over to me before bitterness steps in. Or, you know what? I, I can handle that. And God's like, no, you can't handle that. That's why I'm telling you right now. You can't handle that. And so God knows it's all before him. Wisdom is realizing that it's all there. 
Because what happens is if you don't accept that, look at verse 26. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant. And look also at verse um, 29. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Now, just, just ask yourself, what's your thought life like? You know, one of the worship songs that um, we sang uh, this morning during the first service, and I'm assuming you guys did it for the second service too, it was um, something like, uh, over every thought and every word. And I was singing there during the first service praying, and it's like, wow, that's convicting. Every thought and every word, Lord, I want you to be over every thought and every word. Because he knows it. And when my thoughts are not in line with the will of God, verse 26, it's an abomination to God. Boy, I don't want to be that way with the Lord. I want my words to be pure and pleasant. I don't want, verse 29, my prayer life to be hindered because of sin in my life. See, unconfessed sin in your life will put a wall up in your relationship with the Lord. Yes, he still loves you. Yes, he still cares for you. But there's a wall. And when you go to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to talk, he says, I would love to talk, but can we knock down this wall of sin first? And then we can have great communication because it affects us. So wisdom, we seek wisdom in the counsel of godly people. Wisdom accepts correction. Wisdom realizes God is watching. Last thing that wisdom does here is wisdom comforts us in a tough time. Can you turn to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1, please? Second Corinthians 1. Look at 2 Corinthians 1. <clears throat> uh, look at verse 3 there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort which we, are, excuse me, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So God is the God of comfort. Let's establish this fact first. Whatever you're facing in life, you're only going to find comfort from one place, and that's from your relationship with the Lord. That's the only place you're going to find it. So often we try to find comfort in friends and family members and things of the world, and you know what? That can bring a, a small comfort for a little bit, but the truth of the matter is it doesn't bring any long-lasting comfort. If I'm going through a tough time, I can get through it a little bit. I can talk to somebody. You know, I can go get my mind off of it by doing something else. I can sit down and play with the kids. You know, I... Those little things will take it away for a while. But the truth of the matter is that discomfort will keep coming back. And until I truly give it over to the Lord and realize the God of comfort is the only way that I'm going to get through this, it's going to stay there. Now with that being said, jump back here to Proverbs 15 now that we have that foundation laid. Look at verse 13. A merry, merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by the sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. And I don't like to jump ahead too much in Proverbs because we're going to get to it in a couple weeks. But just jump ahead to Proverbs 17, uh, 22 real quick. A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. And one more, Proverbs 18, verse 14. The spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness, but who can bear a broken spirit? Here's the thing. Some of you came in this morning and you are broken. Your heart is broken. Your heart is broken. As it says in Proverbs there, your bones have dried up and you have no comfort right now. And, and I don't know why. There's many reasons. 
your, your bones are broken or dried up. Life's not what you thought it was supposed to be. Uh, relationships aren't working out. Work's not working out. There's health issues. Fill in the blank. Either way, you came in here with a broken heart and a dried up spirit. And I'm telling you right now, the only way to get through that is through the God of comfort. You, you can try to do it on your own. And, and some of you probably are trying to do it on your own. And you're doing quote-unquote okay. Isn't that the key answer to everything? How are you doing? Okay. I say that word all the time. But really what happens is we're not spiritually okay. Why? What happened? Well, Proverbs 15 gives three reasons. Why? First one is found in verses 16 and 17. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. Why are we bothered and upset? Because we don't have what we want. Verses 16 and 17. We don't have what we want. Proverbs is teaching it's better to have a little with the Lord than a lot. If you're taking notes, 1 Timothy 6.6, godliness with contentment is great gain. See, when we don't have what we want, usually our heart's broken. You know, you thought by this age you'd have the right guy and you'd be married, but you're not. You thought by this point the marriage would be worked out. It's not. You thought by this point the work would be going better. You thought by this point you'd have a job. You thought by this point your kids would be where they're supposed to be in life and in the Lord. You thought by this point you'd have kids. Whatever it is, you're at a spot where it's not where you want it to be. And so since it's not where you want it to be and it's not where you thought it should be, your heart is broken and your bones are dried up. And God says, don't focus on what you don't have. Focus on what you do have, which is me. See, if you focus on what you don't have and you focus on what's wrong, you're getting your eyes off the Savior. How many times have we said this? Keep your eyes on the Savior, not the situation. Because what happens is if you focus on what is lacking or by what you deem and I deem lacking in my life, we're not realizing what the Lord has done to get us through. So wisdom, wisdom says I'm not going to focus on what's wrong. Wisdom says I'm not going to focus on what's lacking. Wisdom says I'm going to focus on the Lord. Next one, verse 30. The light of the eye rejoices the heart, and a good report makes the bones healthy. Wisdom also says I'm going to watch what comes into my life. Because the light of the eyes rejoices the heart. What I allow into my life will either build me up or tear me down in the Lord. And I tell you right now, there's a lot of sad things in life that it's just best sometimes to stay away from. I'm not saying as a Christian you stick your head in the sand like the ostrich. But there's times where you can stop and you say, you know what? I don't need to bring that into my life right now. I need to keep my eyes focused on the Lord. Because if I bring those things into my life, it's going to pull me down. I tell you, if you constantly watch the news and the headlines and the politics of this world, you're going to get depressed. Your eyes are on the Savior, not the situation. And so often, as, as people, we only focus on those headlines and those things that are bringing us down. And I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking here. I'm just saying it's a fact. Verse 30, the light of the eyes rejoices the heart. Well, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. So I want to keep my eyes on the light. And a good report makes the bones healthy. Have you ever had those times of where you finally get that bit of good news? You know how much it just brings you up. That's why the gospel is called what? Good news. <laughs> because the Bible is what brings you up. And I tell you, once again, if you focus on the things of the world, you're going to bring yourself down. It's the things of the Lord. Don and I uh, got this movie a while ago, and we were watching it. We checked it out, and it's like, okay, it looks like it's going to be a pretty good movie. And everything pretty clean, pretty good. And so we're getting through it. And it's just this depressing, discouraging movie. And you're like, you're watching it. I'm like, oh, man, everybody's dying. 
And it's just like, why am I spending my evening doing this? And I've shared with you before, I don't have a problem knowing how movies end. I like to know how they end. So we stopped the movie halfway through. I got online, found out how it ended, found out the dad dies, found out all... It's like, I, I don't need to finish it, <laughs> you know? There's enough junk and, and death and sorrow and heartache in life as it is. I, I, why would I need to spend two hours putting more into that? The light of the eyes rejoices the heart. Lord, let me, let me focus on something good there. So wisdom watches what comes into our eyes. And the last one, wisdom, verse 15. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he who has a merry heart has a continual feast. Real quick, how's your heart? Wisdom says, I want my heart to be joyful in the Lord. Now, note I didn't say wisdom says your heart's going to be joyful in life. Some of your lives are not very merry right now. It's a fact. There's sorrow, there's sadness. But you have a merry heart in the Lord. I've said this to a couple people this week, and this is an old point that I stole from another pastor, where the pastor said, someone comes up and asks me if I'm happy. He goes, no, I don't have a happy marriage, and I don't have a happy ministry. He goes, I have moments of happiness in my marriage, and I have moments of happiness in my ministry. But overall, it's not a happy marriage and a happy ministry. He goes, now I have a joyful marriage, and he goes, I have a joyful ministry. And some people say, well, what's the difference? Happiness is basically allowing situations to give you joy. And you'll have moments of happiness in life and you have moments of unhappiness in life. But the thing with joy, joy is an underlying foundation of your life that no matter what you're going through, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so if you allow the world to dictate your happiness, you're going to be on an emotional roller coaster. You're going to go up, you're going to go down. You're going to go up and you're going to go down. You know, I, I've shared with you before, <coughs> big, um, uh, big baseball guy, big Atlanta Braves guy, and Atlanta Braves, typical baseball season, they play 162 games. 162 games. It's a lot of wasted life. But it's 162 games. And, and a, if you have a good year, you're, you're going to win 90-plus games. Okay, that means if you win 90-plus games, how many games are you losing? Like 70-some. Okay, well, the truth of the matter is, you know, when you get so much into that, they would lose. And it's like, you know what? They lost. I, I'm just, you know, I don't want to read the headlines. I don't want to see what happens. I don't want to watch the highlights. I just don't care. I just don't care about it. Well, they play another game the next day. Oh, they win. Oh, now it's great. I can read the headlines. I can watch the highlights again and again. And I can rewatch and rewatch it. And it's this constant emotional up and down. And I had to reach a point where I say, you know what? I enjoy it. I like it. But I can't allow the wins and the losses to dictate life. Now, that's a simple little example. But the problem is there's bigger examples in life. Uh, somebody was just recently going in for um, some uh, pretty big uh, results at the doctor. And I was telling this person, I said, hey, it's easy for me to say because I'm not in your position, but no matter what the results of those doctors is, don't let that dictate your joy. Your joy is based on the Lord. Your joy is not based on what that man says is right or wrong. Because it's not what man says. It's what God says. And it's the joy of the Lord that gives you strength, and it's that is what gets you through. And that's what it is. And so, what you have here in verse 15, you have to ask yourself, is how's your heart? Is your heart a continual feast of, okay, Lord, help me? So, if you've come in here today, and, and, and what's wrong? I don't have what I thought I should have or deserve or want to have. Wisdom says, focus on what you do have, which is a relationship with Christ. If, if you're being brought down by the things of life, the world, you're in a pretty duff, tark, dark place right now then you need to stop and say, okay, I want my eyes to be focused on the Lord, verse 30. Verse 15, I want my heart to be focused on the Lord. Now, some of you may be here right now and saying, you know what, I'm actually doing pretty good, so don't depress me here. I actually came in here with a pretty good heart. Well, if you came in with a good heart, 
Here's your verse, verse 23. A man has joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. If things are going good, that means you're in a position right now to bless those where things aren't going good. You know, you're in a position where things are clicking, you're at a good season of life. Thank the Lord for that. Be an encouragement now for those that are going through a difficult time. Because there's people that are going through a tough time. And I tell you this, as the body of Christ grows out here and as things change, we need the body more than ever to focus on the body. Realize and pray, Lord, who's hurting? Who can I bless with? With a phone call, a card, an email or something. Lord, who haven't I seen in a while that I can, I can follow up with? Because you know what? Your word spoken, verse 33, 23, in due season, how good it is. So often I go up to somebody and they'll be like, you know, so-and-so has been heavy on the heart. Boy, then contact them. Let them know you're just praying. Well, I don't know what to say. There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, you've been heavy on the heart and I just want to let you know I'm praying for you. It's amazing how good a word in due season can be, how blessed it can be. Well, we want to finish here with, with communion. And um, go ahead, Bob.